Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a little bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burnt Orange Nation, and you can find this and more great Texas content at burntorangenation.com. And as you listen to the show, it would mean a lot to us if you would leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. It helps a ton with visibility. Share this with your friends, share this with your coworkers, anybody that you know loves Texas Longhorn sports, and you can find us again on Google Play and on Stitcher. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I am joined by my good friend, a man who ain't a gorilla. He just makes him go bananas. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh man, I'm doing wonderful. Uh, for some reason, the, uh, the line right there makes me think of, makes me think of Mario Kart and, uh, don't want to get into a particularly tough sixth grade, uh, loss that was a banana peel at the finish line, but let's just say we're no longer friends, but you and I are good friends and we are here today to talk a little Longhorn football and specifically do our game preview the much, 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 much hyped Longhorn game preview for the bowl. Yes. So after two weeks of teasing, been a long time, shouldn't have left you. We are bringing you a preview of the Missouri bowl game playing in the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl down in Houston. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about recruiting. We are two days out from the early signing period. Texas has a ton of kids that will be signing uh, this week as of the time of recording. Got some All-Americans and then we will bang the drum at the end of the show today. So Kyle, let's just jump in and talk. Missouri. It's been a few weeks since we've done one of these game previews. Let's hope we have uh, we have some some left in the tank for the last game of the season. Yeah, man. I uh, I think we remember how to do this. Um, so Texas is playing in the Texas Bowl, um, and I had to convince my friends who don't live here that Texas doesn't just automatically always play in the Texas Bowl. In fact, Texas doesn't automatically just play in a bowl period, which is a sad thing to say. But uh, Texas is playing a, a home game for me in Houston, Texas. Uh, against Missouri. This is an interesting one. The teams kind of uh, look opposite right now, right? That's when, when I look at these two teams and where the momentum is, I, I see them go in opposite directions. Yeah, and, and it's been a couple of years for Texas in the bowl game. So so Missouri sits at 7-5. and five. It's, a, it's a little bit of a, um, a deceiving 7-5. and five. They, they won their first game, then they lost games two through six, just bang, 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 bang. And people had marked them as dead on arrival. And then they cracked off six straight to close the season, uh, including a regular season uh, closing three-point win over the Arkansas Razorbacks. So they they are a hotter team than Texas if you look at how they ended their season versus how the Longhorns ended their season with a come-from-ahead loss yeah. uh, at a against a lesser Texas Tech team. So Kyle what what is Missouri because their record says one thing but maybe the the teams they played say something different I'll give the the caveat up front that you know you said it exactly right there Texas played an inferior team and found a way to lose that game and to their credit Missouri uh, found a way to win some games but you know the kind of all the talk in the media and just that you're, you're hearing around this game uh, has been wow they're on a six game winning streak they're so hot they're they're one of the best teams uh, in the country now you don't want to play them and I just don't buy into that at all um, they won six games against uh, a, a murderer's row. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm just going to go through these teams and then I'll tell you a fact. Uh, Idaho, UConn, that's uh, men's football, UConn, University of Florida, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, and Arkansas. So, uh, you know, the, the real power of American football right there. Uh, looking at these teams, three of them no longer have their head coach. That's Florida, Tennessee, and Arkansas. 
Uh, you, we miss you, Brett. <laughs> I know. RIP Bert. UConn um, does have their coach, but only because they uh, fired their coach last year and brought back, you know, their, their only uh, winning coach in school history. They brought back Edsel, who honestly, with a couple more seasons like this, will be fired as well. I think they had three wins. And Idaho, more than, than losing a coach, actually lost Division One football. They are moving down the first school to ever take the leap backwards um money and revenue be be damned they uh they're going back to fcs where they could be competitive so if that tells you anything about the the quality of these wins including the the very stellar four sec wins uh from their uh, opponents that they beat in that sec part of the schedule um i didn't really do the math specifically on a segment of a schedule i don't know if you could do that but i would have to imagine that's like a bottom 20 strength of schedule for that little little <laughs> slot but you know nonetheless they won those games for so good for them and they didn't just win them they they put up some numbers offensively that's been uh the the tigers calling card all year has been just putting the ball up they're ranked seventh overall in the nation with 511 passing yards it's hard to do that against the scout team so regardless of who they're playing those are some big numbers they're they're almost at 200 yards 199.6 rushing yards and 311 almost 312 passing yards per game so they can do a little bit on offense kyle so let's let's Let's, let's start there and look at what do, what do the Tigers do offensively that Texas needs to look out for? Well, I think the, the guy to know on this team uh, is Drew Locke, the, the quarterback. And he's, uh, he's I think we described him when we gave our kind of teaser preview that he's the most uh, Big 12 quarterback, not in the Big 12. Um, he really fits in and fitting. This is a former Big 12 school, of course. But he fits the mold. He's a uh, prolific passer. He's fourth in the country in uh in quarterback rating behind i don't know if you've heard of ou or osu's quarterback uh one of those won the heisman i don't remember his name but uh a couple good good qb ones there and then also uh ucf's mckenzie milton who did nothing but lead his team to a, a pretty decent 12 and 0 this year um so you know he's he sits right behind those three which is which is really good company uh, and he also set the sec record with 43 passing touchdowns this year so the guy's got um an arm on him and, and, uh, and he's got a good kind of cadre of receivers to, uh, to work with. And, uh, the thing that's kind of unsung about drew Locke is that he, he's quick and he's got, uh, he's got some wheels. Um, he's not an out and out Michael Vick, but he can get some yards, move the chains. And he was averaging 5.6 yards per carry this season, which we would have killed for a Texas running back to be able to do that. You mentioned it there. Missouri is a really well-rounded offense. Like it's not just the quarterback they've got. They've obviously got the quarterback that's a gunslinger. They've got a thousand yard receiver. They had a, another receiver that hit 800 and their running back ish winner hit a thousand yards this season. Mm-hmm. So it's not, they're not a one dimensional team. They're going to come at you from several different angles, which I think is uh, when, when a team is multiple, it's always good to watch. You know, obviously Texas's strength has been its defense this year, uh, but, but a team that can make you defend all areas of the, the game is going to stretch you out and make you uh, make you defend a little bit. Yeah. And I, like I said, again, you can call them flat track bullies or whatever. Um, some of these numbers, I worry, not worry, but I hope are a little bit skewed, you know, based on really uh, putting the hurting on weaker teams. Even if you look back at their first game of the year when they played Missouri State, I think they put up like 75 on them or something. But they also gave up like 43 points to a three and eight FCS school. So um, they're really good. They're very, very good. I don't want to undersell them. They got uh, Jamon, uh, Jamon Moore. Uh, who had over a thousand receiving eleven TDs and averaged over seventeen yards a catch, 
um, which is which is crazy. Um, another kid from Texas who Texas didn't offer, but uh, you know, but they had a really a really good unit, and uh, Texas will I think be the best defense they played this year uh, outside of maybe the Georgia Bulldogs, um, maybe second defense. I'll say that clearly. Georgia's very very good. Um, so I mean that's. Uh, that's going to be an interesting look. That matchup, Texas. We'll, we'll get into the defense in a little bit, but uh, but this is a big, big, big time, big play offense that basically runs four verts or you know like a thirteen year old playing NFL blitz just calls the bomb. Um, they are going to go deep whenever they get the chance. So it should be make for good, entertaining football if nothing else. You know what? Don't hate on my NFL blitz strategy. I <laughs> still rock the arcade. And I think we can't pass over it without saying that their offensive coordinator, Josh Heupel, uh, is no longer with the team. He has been named the head coach of the Central Florida Knights. So he will – I don't believe he'll be coaching them uh, for the bowl game, so he will not be around. Uh, he will take over a 12-0 team as their coach heads to Nebraska. Yeah, and uh, Scott Frost was named the uh, coach of the year just, I think, today um, yep. uh, for that effort. But none, nonetheless, uh, currently Josh Heupel is the named head coach of the team with the best record in the country. So, you know, no no big deal. Just coached the, uh, the number 10 scoring offense uh, and then also is currently the coach of the uh, undefeated and best record team in the country. So way to go, Josh Heupel. So moving on to the defense, the Tigers, um, you know, you, you called their quarterback the most Big 12 quarterback uh, not in the Big 12. Missouri may be the most Big 12 team not in the Big 12 because they put up some ridiculous offensive numbers and they do not play much defense. Honestly, I think it would be more fitting if Texas was in the SEC and Missouri played in the Big 12 looking at strengths v. weaknesses, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, but the Missouri defense is not a very stout unit. So Kyle, what does that look like uh, heading into Saturday, not Saturday, but Wednesday? Well, let me just say this right here. You heard it. First, right here, folks, on the Longhorn Republic pod breaking news, Texas to the SEC. You heard it here first. Just want to call this an exclusive <laughs> Texas to the SEC. Um, Don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> no, uh, you're right, though. It's uh, it's it's interesting when the Big 12 and SEC play, uh, and they often meet in this bowl game, uh, they, uh, it's usually the script is flipped. Uh, Texas plays kind of the uh, grind it out on offense, hope to get, a, get something, maybe get some points from defense or special teams, and uh, – and play some some shutdown football. Um, Missouri uh, tries to get their offense back on the field. I would say is their their strategy of defense, which you know o- OU did uh, to the great success to make the uh, college football playoffs. So it is a interesting but at times viable strategy. Uh, but they uh, they're an interesting team. I think this is why I say they're going to be fun. Uh, explosive plays are going to be all over the place, assuming Texas can uh, can take the opportunities and carpe those DMs. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Missouri get, gave up 13 plays of more than 50 yards this season. That uh, That's a lot. And they also led the nation themselves in plays of 50 yards with 22. So big, big chunks of offense on both sides of the field. They're giving up uh, tons of explosive plays. They're, they're, you know, passing defense is, is paltry. Uh, it's going to be very interesting when we talk kind of what the Texas offense can do uh, facing up against this, because I think maybe potentially there might be some chance for some matchup uh, advantage there. But I mean, again, we'll see. We've been saying that a lot of weeks in a lot of these podcasts and it hasn't always <laughs> materialized, but I really do think that this is an opportunity um, for that side of the ball, for that unit where the Texas defense will talk about, you know, what, what, 
uh, resources they have available. But for the Texas offense, um, getting to play this Missouri defense, it, it could be pretty good. Again, just by the numbers, number 88th in total defense, number 108th in passing, 94th in scoring. Um, it's all there for the taking. You look at Missouri's numbers, and I, I was doing some research, and I looked at their offensive stats, and I was like, holy Moses, like these guys will light up the scoreboard. And then I looked at their defensive statistics and I said oh that's why they have to light up the right. scoreboard because they would they would be the Cleveland Browns if they were not uh if they could not put points up because again when you're when you're giving up 32 points a game the only way you can come up with W's is to put up 33 and they're averaging almost 40 points per game so that's you know that's the making of a not very good football team and I think you know Texas has to take advantage of this. They've got the opportunity to to send these seniors out on a winning season with a winning note. You know the other seniors that are playing uh, and the guys that are leaving that are playing, but they have the opportunity to go to go seven and six for the first time in three years. So I think if they can figure out the offense and they've had a month to do it, like it's been by the time that they kick off, it will have been. A full a month and a day basically. The, their their last game of the year was, I believe, on the twenty fifth or the twenty sixth, and this kickoff is on the twenty seventh. So they will have a month to figure it out. So hopefully, they can get something together. However, there are some big names that have already said they will not be playing in that game, both on the defense and on the offensive side of the ball. So Deshaun Elliott, we know, declared early he will be going pro. He will not be playing in the bowl game uh, as well. Malik has been battling some turf toe issues. He hasn't really made a decision about his professional future, uh, or at least that's what he's saying. So I'm not sure what that looks like, but he, he doesn't seem to be moving in a positive direction as far as playing in the bowl game. Uh, offensively, two big pieces, uh, you know, Connor Williams signed with Drew Rosenhaus, uh, you know, this day, this morning at the time of recording. So he's going to be foregoing his bowl game. Uh, and then Chris Warren, the third is transferring out and will not be playing in the bowl game. So four kind of big chunks missing. So let's start. We, we got to talk about Missouri defense. Let's talk about the Texas offense. So what does the Texas offense look like missing both of the CWs on, on uh, in the Texas bowl? Um, you said both of the CWs and I don't know why I just got like a one tree Hill flashback. I never watched one tree Hill. What was a really masculine show on that? Now we're one of those ones that I watched that was very uh, manly and stuff. Are there masculine shows yeah, there on may the have CW? Been. Anyways, so let's just cut that whole part out of the podcast. But uh, with both the C- CWs, the C- CW3 and, and CW55, um, it's going to be interesting, I think more so without Warren. Uh, we, I don't want to say made do because I don't think we did, but manage, no, not that either. We played football, no. We lined up people <laughs> and snapped a ball uh, without Connor Williams for a good chunk of the year. So we've seen that happen. Um, the one kind of nice thing there, and I don't obviously think this is a like-for-like like replacement, but um, Vahe should should be good to go, and, and uh, Elijah Rodriguez should be back, um, which he's probably more slated at guard, but very likely could could take that tackle spot um, because Okafor just really hasn't you know seized it. Um, so – you know, getting someone back at least uh, and having just, you know, 15 more practices. Uh, we had a chance to talk to Coach Zajek. And uh, if you didn't, everyone, please go back and listen to that podcast. It was it was pretty great. And he had some insightful things to say. Good but stuff. one of the great things when he was talking about the line um, was just about how important it is to know the guy next to you and how truly critical. And if you don't play that position or coach that position or watch that position all the time, the little kind of subtle things are um, and that consistency is. So, you know, 
that month is a lot, and it seems silly to say that at the end of a year, um, but it's a lot to take that month and to practice with the same guys every day and to to, to get a little consistency um, in that offensive line. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think that means they're going to come out and be stellar. I just don't think that's going to happen in the year 2017. Uh we can talk about 2018 in a, in a later podcast, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think there's at least a little hope to replace that with, with Chris Warren. Um, you know, you think about Chris Warren, not this season at tech, but last season at tech rushing for, I don't know, was it like 800 yards or whatever it was? Um, he, he could like have been, um, you know, he had that potential, but it was almost like this year we never saw it. We've talked at length about why that, that could be and why he's no longer at the program. Um, I, I mean, truly, the last couple games, is it going to be that much of a difference to not have Chris Warren? The the one big difference, I will say, is his hands yeah. out of the backfield saved the quarterback's bacon a few Definitely. times. Now, I will say, he looked a little lazy on some blocks. He looked a little lazy on, on some play fakes. I think, you know, we've talked before about, you know, what the rumors are about why he didn't see as much playing time, why he was inconsistent. That's either here nor there. We have zero inside information. So that is all secondhand. Uh, but he, Texas will definitely miss him in that, that kind of wheel route that Texas fans are all familiar with because that's the play that, that beat him against OU. Uh, that, that tight end out of the backfield wheel route situation that Chris Warren, you know, for all the for all the faults that that the fans on Twitter found about him, the kid catching yeah. the ball out of the backfield, getting in open space, and putting a hammer on somebody, he was good at it. So I think that is a big uh, that's a big loss for Texas. And and again, at a position where there's paper thin, tight end has not been kind to the Longhorns in, this, in the recent years, and they take yet another hit to their tight end depth before a before the bowl game. So. Offensively, we we we've lost some we've lost some uh, some soldiers there. Defensively, the biggest name probably in that that secondary on, on that defense, Deshaun Elliott not going to be there, and then again potentially Malik may not play. No word on the turf toe. What that looks like, I know turf toe is a nagging injury. Uh, it could be tough. It could also just be I don't know what my yeah. decision is. So I'm giving you an okay. excuse as to why I'm yeah. not practicing. Uh, either way, could be one of the two. I'm I am not making any sort of conjecture because again, I don't have any inside sources on that. But what does this defense look like without those two guys on you know on Wednesday? Yeah, I didn't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but I I, I definitely feel like Malik's Malik's very uh, fortuitous turf toe um, is is interesting i'm of the opinion that it probably is just a you know what i love texas i'm going to be right there cheering you guys on the sideline because you know my toe and all but i love texas uh and it's a nice way to save face and kind of exit uh as the hero still so uh maybe i'm wrong but i i don't know um but it is interesting you know when i was kind of thinking about this originally i was thinking wow they're without really probably their three best defenders this year um with holton hill also out but we we kind of got a chance to see that and we got a, a chance to see how the defensive rotations shifted without him um the issue is, is then you take out number one and number two out of that secondary and now with deshaun i, I think tactically what you're going to see is uh you're going to see pj lock go back um he's going to be playing deep safety which might be good for him i mean the, the talk all year was P.J. Locke should be the world's best nickelback. He had all the promise. He was ready to take the next step. He kind of, uh, if potential is a zero-sum game, as we've joked about, uh, I think Deshaun and, and Holden sapped all of his and, and Boyd's. But, uh, but you know, maybe without them there, it's it's their chance to to raise up. But, uh, but yeah, he di- really didn't take a step up at that nickel position. So in, this could be a little bit of a preview for next year playing next to uh, – 
playing next to Brandon Jones um, at the other safety position. This could be a preview for what we're going to see. And if he he shows out good, then that makes us feel a little bit better heading in. I don't think he has the ball hawking tendencies that Elliott had. I don't know if he's going to have turnovers. I'd love to be proved wrong, but I think um, he's a hitter. He's uh, he's pretty good in coverage. He can do a lot of things. He's flexible from that position. Um, so that's going to be interesting. It also moves um, a couple guys up. You might see Jason Hall getting to just hit people, which Jason Hall is really good at hitting people. Um, and you'll see uh, Davis getting in there. Um, and, and when he was best was being close to the line, kind of blowing up bubble screens and, and being a physical presence in there. So I think it does kind of let some people slot into positions of strength. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily give us the depth and the ability, even though we didn't rotate a ton of people that position, but the ability to uh, to get in there. I think John Bonney uh, should be back and, and firing on all cylinders as well. So I, I assume he'll get some run as well. Ultimately, it's a loss. It's a big loss. But I don't think that having Deshaun ultimately stops that really potent passing attack i think the thing that we're going to miss is the potential for the big play in the turnover for sure and you you've got guys like antoine davis Devonte davis who played well in in their sparing looks toward the end of the season so i think there there are there are guys that can play but i don't know if they're playmakers on the on the caliber of deshaun and, and that's not a knock on anybody that guy's going to play in the league for several years so i think it, it's you lose an NFL uh, caliber talent on a secondary that was kind of showing some cracks and some wear toward the end of the season. It, it really uh, will show. Thankfully, you know, our man Puna yep. will be playing uh, unless something, you know, crazy happens. Breck Hager will still be around. Gary yep. Johnson still be around. So there are still a lot of a lot of killers mm-hmm. on that defense in spite of the big missing names. One plus two that, you know, we could have been having this conversation. And it sounded different. Um, one guy who is going to be there who almost wasn't as Todd Orlando. And I think that's big. I think knowing that your coach is there, he's not going anywhere for at least another year, um, is going to be big for these guys. And, and you said Puna, and I just want to see one more game of Puna. This is, I mean, it was senior night at Tech, and he was the only one who decided to show up. But this is truly his last game. So I'm, I'm ready for just like a, a nine tackle for loss Puna showing out uh, for the NFL game. I love it. So let's move on quickly. We're going a little long. We told you it was going to be a good Missouri preview. Uh, so – the early signing period is rapidly approaching at this time of recording. It will be Wednesday, December 20th. So Texas has 12 of its 19 commits are slated to sign on the early signing period, including uh, five guys that will be enrolling early. They'll be taking part in spring practices. You've got uh, two safeties, BJ Foster and Caden Stearns, who both individually would be the crown jewel of a recruiting class, but the two of them together, uh, I believe they're the number one and number three safeties. And I think they're both top 10 in the great state of Texas. Uh, Brennan Eagles, who for the longest time thought was a school, not a player. Uh, And then this is the one that's almost the most telling to me. Both quarterbacks, Cameron rising and Casey Thompson will be on campus for spring practice. So a lot of competition in the backfield for Texas. So Kyle, Let's just talk briefly. What does this mean for the future of Texas? Who does this mean that that maybe the coaches are looking at favorably or unfavorably when it goes into spring practice? 12 out of 19. I think Herman said uh, he was looking for maybe two-thirds to possibly even three-fourths of the whole class uh, being in this early period. And it's crazy. This this is this is new to me. Um, I think it's new to everyone, of course. But the this early enrollee, early signing period is kind of an interesting develop as in, in – modern you know uh, later 
2010s college football. Uh, you think about Mac Brown in the junior day. We've not been in, entirely new to the the early recruit period. Um, what's interesting to me is what this does for the coaches, right? Um, we've been clamoring for these extra practices, maybe somewhat some sarcastically uh, about, you know, a bowl, no matter if we win or we lose, we get extra practice, we get extra development. It all leads to momentum for next year. Uh, but it's pretty tough for that coaching staff getting, uh, getting across the country, especially because we're getting, you know, commits in Utah. We're flying out to LA. We're going to Florida. Um, you know, we're kind of all over the place talking to these kids, making sure the guys uh, who we want to get, um, we're getting face time with and the guys who we think we have, we get that last little wrap up kind of uh, pat on the back. You can't wait to see you in, in Austin in a couple of weeks, kid. Um, so Herman's working his butt off, but, and it'll be interesting to see uh, what his allocation of time has been and, and what that means for the bowl game, of course. Um, but, you know, I, I think what it, what it says is, is this is the new era of, of college football. Texas has the number two class, according to some rankings. Uh, we'll see if that stays or even if it slips, it's not going to be lower than a top five or six class. Um, so this is talent. This is future. Um, this is Tom Herman heading into year two, Tom Herman, Herman looking at year four, five, and six. You know, this is, uh, this is big time. And uh, I'm personally ready for Caden Stearns to be my favorite Longhorn of all time, uh, just selfishly. I'm all about that Sentex. SCUC represent. Indeed, indeed. Um, so, you know, I, I'm ready for some of these guys. The, the fact that we have two more quarterbacks coming in, the fact that we're going to play two quarterbacks in this bowl game tells me it's all future. We're looking at the future at that position, which is scary, but it also, you know, let's get the right guy and do it right. Um, the fact that we're bringing in so many skill position guys says a lot. I, I, I do worry a little. I mean, do you have any thoughts on this, G? I think I, I would like to see some more some more hosses. Well, they, they've got they've got three guys that are that are committed that will be playing interior line. They've got a couple of tight ends that could uh, that could eat their way down mm-hmm. to uh, to offensive line. They've got a They've got a six five tight end that possibly could slide down to a to a tackle spot or a guard spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think. They're going to go after a couple of grad transfers. We've already seen that. Uh, but yeah, it does worry me a bit that Texas seems to keep missing on these interior linemen because no matter how many skill players, no matter how, you know, godly you know, Casey Thompson is out of the backfield running the zone read, if he can't get the blocks, nothing's going to happen. So I definitely think that that is, uh, that is a little problematic for me. I do think, you know, the, the depth problems at offensive line were definitely made worse by injuries this year. Uh, it's not great, but it's not, uh, it's not as dire as maybe it's, it's not life and death at this point, but it's, it's life support. Yeah. So I, but I do think, uh, for me, it really, the early signing period boils down to, these kids are locked in. We don't have to worry about these 12 guys. So we can focus on keeping these seven that didn't sign for whatever reason and trying to add a couple at the end. There are still some big names that are still out there uh, for Texas to, to try to get in the mix for these offensive linemen. You know, Texas threw out a couple of offers to offensive linemen and, and got some bites this week. So I definitely think uh, Texas has, uh, has the people in place to really get uh, to have this future class. And again, you know, guys like Cam Rising and Casey Thompson, I think they're going to push the guys that are on campus now for, for these quarterback spots because Cam Rising is a, is a pro quarterback if I've ever seen one. And, and Casey Thompson, that dude can move. Like he's, he's classified as a dual threat, but he is, he's not the running dual threat. It's not the mm-hmm. kind of backhanded mm-hmm. compliment you strap on a running quarterback. That dude legitimately can beat you with his arm or his legs. So Kyle, we're we're running short on time this week. Let's jump in and let's bang the drum really quickly. Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Um, so I would like to uh, dedicate my bang the drum presented by Fuddruckers. Fuddruckers, 
America's Greatest Hamburger, not yet sponsored. But if you're listening, Fuddruckers, again, we're banging the drum for you and your delicious burgers. Um, I want to bang the drum this week for uh, for Texas in bowls and, and more for a uh, a war war chant drum. What is that called when you bang the drum when you're heading to war? I want this uh, this drum to ward off the evils and to ward off the past. This is called the Texas Bowl. Um, in fact, the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl. And, and it has not fared particularly well for Texas teams. In fact, Texas teams are 0-3 in the past three Texas Bowls. And that isn't just UT in the in the last one they played in, um, losing to Arkansas very badly. That was Tech. That was A&M. Um, so it's been across the board. They're 4-5 and five all time and, and only got you know one of those because the inaugural game featured two Texas teams. That was TCU uh, versus U of H. And the Big 12 itself is only 3-5 and five in this game. Um, so it's really not the trend that we want, but it's also the chance to buck that trend. Um, you know, you look at Texas and their last three games have all been in the state of Texas. Um, the last three bowl games going back to, uh, to 2012, they played in the Alamo bowl, which I was at that game and they won over Oregon state. And then they were in a worse Alamo bowl where they lost to the other Oregon school, uh, 30 to seven. Um, and then of course, like I said, lost, uh, in the, the Texas bowl to Arkansas. So it's, it's, um, one and two in the last two, and it's trending down with 0 and two in the last two that they had, and then a couple year gap. But what that means is it's time for a fresh restart. This is the Tom Herman era. This is the new Longhorns era. Uh, it's time to go ahead and start a new a new bowl streak. So let's win this one and continue on. I love it. Let's use this as springboard to 2018. So my bang the drum this week is receivers. We've talked about it. I hadn't looked at how bad it was. Uh, until right, just right before the show. So Texas this season had 10 players that had double-digit reception numbers. So it's normally not a bad. You know, you spread the ball out, spread offenses, you're slinging it all over the yard. None of those players are averaging more than 61 yards per game. So you've got 10 guys that are hitting up more than 10 receptions a game, and none of them are hitting more than 61 yards per game. The last time Texas had a 1,000-yard receiver, because that's the hallmark of these spread, you know, throw it around the yard, teams was 2014. 2014 flash from the past, John Harris. John Harris from 2014 was the last 1,000-yard receiver Texas had. That kind of came out of nowhere for a lot of people, but – you know what? Let's get back to it. Maybe next year, guys like Colin Johnson uh, will be able to to crack that uh, that threshold. So before we go, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the passing of a Texas great uh, Tommy Nobis. He was a true Longhorn legend. He was the first ever draft pick by the Atlanta Falcons, which is a really cool uh, tidbit. Uh, man, he, he has a number retired in the ring of honor. So anytime you go to, to Daryl K. Roy, you'll see number 60 up there in the rafters. Uh, he was a true statesman for the program and he was, uh, just a, just a great guy, great statesman. He, he was loyal to the Longhorns, loyal to the Falcons after, uh, he played, he was a member of their front office for four decades in Atlanta. Yep. So he is not just a Longhorn legend. He's just a legend in and of itself. Yeah, and and I I remember uh, my dad talking about him. My dad was a linebacker, and um, just talking about the the guys he grew up watching. And Nobis was one of them. You know that he just uh, he was a kid, and he remembered just unbelievable, couldn't be stopped. And he would he told me about uh, I think it was the '65 Orange Bowl. Um, we were talking after he passed away, and it was a fourth line, a fourth down goal line stand, and and uh, he stopped the the Alabama quarterback for what would have been the the go ahead score. And I don't know if you remember who the quarterback of that Alabama team was, but uh, I think it was uh, something Namath Joe, maybe uh, Broadway Joe. So uh, you know, you had the the small kind of San Antonio uh, quiet, uh, leave it all in the field kid, uh, kind of. Uh, 
instilling some Texas value, like you said, that is an indicative of that Daryl K. Royal uh, era Texas team. And uh, it's it's a sad day for Longhorn Nation. Um, but, you know, like you said, he's in, in the ring of honor. He's always a part of this program and, and a guy that we'll all remember for forever. Yes, long gone, but not forgotten. Thank you so much for listening into the show again this week. If you like what we do, it would mean a lot if you left us a rating or a review. We got a, we got a five-star review today, so thank you for everyone who has left us a review. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll, maybe we'll start reading out people's names, giving them shout-outs on the podcast if they leave us five-star reviews. Maybe we'll start that next week. Leave I like us a that. review on iTunes. It helps with visibility. Share this with your friends. Share it with coworkers, somebody you love that you know loves Texas Longhorn Sports. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can just find me at www.twitter.com slash Kyle Carpenter. And, uh, of course, you can find uh, the upcoming preview besides this at the Barking Carnival with the Texas Pregamer. You can find me uh, there and writing for the San Antonio Spurs on this basketball season over at Pounding the Rock, also on SB Nation. You can find me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter, Longhorn Pod. We'll start being more active. You're going to be pretty snarky, I think, on that that Twitter. So if you want some snarky sports coverage, let us know. Uh, and always, again, you can share this with your friends and, fo- and follow us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Subscribe so you can get it straight. Don't have to wait for it to be posted. Thank you so much for listening in again this weekend. Until next time, hook them. Hook them. Hook them.